This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Lower Decks, Season 3, Episode 7, the very strange episode, A Mathematically Perfect Redemption. But before we do that, we're going to start with the news, and we have an update to what's going on with Star Trek movies on Paramount Plus in America, which is that they're mostly gone. Yeah, 11 out of 13. So on the first of this month, all the original series and Next Generation movies just disappeared from Paramount Plus in the USA. This has happened before. It's been a long time, though. Since last November, when they all 13 movies were finally on the platform, this is the first time to see a big exodus. Usually one or two goes away and then comes back. It's not going to be permanent. But, you know, I guess it's more annoying. It's like why, you know, it's like, you you know, Disney figured out how to hold the Star Wars and the Marvel movies together. It obviously cost them some money to do that. They had to buy back some rights from Netflix, for example. But it's worth it. And especially after, you know, all the hype about the new director's edition of Star Trek, the motion picture. And now that's gone, too. Yeah. and. You know, I mean, there's kind of a weird thing where, you know, all of these movies are gone off Paramount Plus, but they're not on another platform. Uh, I think Beyond is on AMC Plus, but it's not like they all hopped over to Hulu or some. I I don't know where they are. It's probably some cable deal from years ago. Right. I mean, they've never promised to be the home of all Star Trek. They they've put out these promos saying every episode, every series. Right. But it's like, well, and it should be and every movie. But they right. they know that they don't have that because they, they, they keep on lap. These rights keep on lapsing, but they should make this happen. So this is me just ranting. Just just <laughs> I understand. But just stop. Just yep. and, and and create a they have within the app. They have hubs and they have brands. Create a Star Trek hub or brand. Put all the TV shows, the movies, documentaries, random stuff from the celebrities. Everyone else is doing this. I mean, as Star Trek fans, we're kind of stuck with Paramount Plus, but they really need to up their game on the app and they need to stop this nonsense. They even used to have at least a Star Trek category that you could get to, and that isn't there anymore. Yeah, I ended up yeah. just creating, doing what you do that I always said I never did that, but I ended up creating my own list and put all the Star Trek shows plus a couple of other shows that I watch there because it's the app is frustrating to use. I won't get into the details, but it's, you got to mark the stuff you want to see and hold on to. Yeah. You know, and it, not just Star Trek. I mean, they could create a hub for Mission Impossible and for SpongeBob. I mean, they have a lot of brands within the Paramount universe of stuff. And but Star Trek is a big part of who they are. Yes. And it's like Star Wars is to Disney and DC is to HBO Max, both of which are hubs within those different apps. So, you know, enough. So anyway, (laughs) rant over unless you want to rant some more yourself. No, I could rant about the way the app works, but that won't help anybody. (laughs) So let's move on to talking about our dear old friend, Terry Metalis. Who's been very busy on Twitter again. Yes. Well, he never really stopped. Since the trailer dropped, I guess, a month ago, almost a month ago, you know, he's just been 
even engaging more with fans and non-fans. He he will engage with pretty much anyone. <laughs> but he also answers questions, kind of. And so we did one of our, you know, Terry says shit on Twitter roundups, which is on the site now. Um, but it's getting a lot of notice because of, I think, because of what we led with with the headline, which is a fan asked him, he's like, oh, since this is the last season, you know, I'm now getting worried that, like, you know, maybe not everyone's going to make it. Not all the next gen stars. And he said, safety is not guaranteed. And uh, and then when someone said, would you really kill a beloved next generation character? You know, that would be risky. And he, you know, he his only reply was the Shatner risk is our business speech. <laughs> um so, I mean, I'm not sure he's confirming someone's going to die, but... I don't think he's confirming it, I think. And it makes sense not to confirm it, because... Well, no, you know, it would be stupid to just say, oh, yeah, I'm killing one of them. You, you right, guys. yeah, <laughs> like, there's no reason to give that away. And you want people, obviously, to think that they're in, in peril, because yeah. it's going to be hard to build up tension without that. But um, if you had to speculate, is there anyone you'd think of besides Picard? I mean, Picard well, I don't think it, died. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I think he's the least likely because what's the point of killing Picard? Right. I mean, it dramatically you killed him in the first season. It just, it just doesn't. It's like, oh, you're going to do it again. I mean, it just right. seems dumb and no stakes because everyone's like, well, he's an android. They'll just upload him. You know. Yeah. Even if they say, oh no, there's no extra bodies around. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. I think I wouldn't say the almost certain, but I give if 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 they're going to kill someone, it's going to be Worf. That's what I was going to say. You know, he talked about sacrifice in the in the trailer or and, you know, a Klingon warrior wants to go out that way. He wants to go out in battle. We know there's going to be space battles. You know, it'll get him to Stovacor. His wife is already dead. Yeah. His two, his two big loves are dead, actually. And, you know, and Terry loves the movie. Spock died in a movie. You know, you know, the major characters dying in movies is you know works you know for an emotional beat and so i wouldn't be surprised if he did it because the Riker family's had enough tragedy already right um i just can't see him doing it you know, killing off um beverly beverly he's not gonna or jordy jordy's you know because his kids are in it and supposedly he'd he'd like to see the kids part of the next show so you'd want to keep that option open what I think is like almost certain he's going to possibly bring in some obscure characters that you forget and then kill them off. That, that's easier to do. Which Picard has already done. Right. I mean, Echeb is the you know obvious one. And Hugh. Hugh was a major one. One of the things he confirmed is that Hugh will not be back for season three. There's going to be some mention of Wesley. I wouldn't be surprised if Will Wheaton, if they squeeze him in again. Briefly. Yeah, they might. There's no, I mean, story-wise, there's no reason he can't turn up. But definitely, they, you know, Terry said they're going to mention where he is and what he's doing. What else caught you from his flurry of tweets over the last few weeks? Well, he said there's no time travel. There's an irony to that, of course. <laughs> yes, you know? of course there is. Because <laughs> he's Mr. Time Travel. He also said that we will see other classic aliens that we haven't seen in a while, but ruled out um, Iconians and Remans. Yeah, I think people like specifically asked about them as opposed right. to him just That's randomly them naming out. them. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I don't even just throw them out there. By the way, <laughs> there's a single singular female bad guy 
who probably represents a group. Is it a race, a species, or is it an organization? I think maybe it's a criminal organization. I think there's been a hints of that. So it's not like, you know, it's the Romulans or the, or the Cardassians as a group. And it has something to do with Dominion War or the fallout. I'd like to see more Cardassians. I find Cardassians fascinating. Yeah. It was, I, I liked the Shellhorstall character in Discovery, the kind of quasi-Cardassian. I thought that was a great character. Because, um, you know, yeah, they, they, it, it'll be interesting to see what the post-Dominion War Cardassian situation is. You know, it's kind of like Germany after the fall of Nazi Germany and their rebuilding and, you know, what kind of country, you know, what, what, how do they pivot back? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, there are a lot of stories to be told there. Just a funny thing, since you happened to mention Chella Horstall, who played, who was on Star Trek Discovery, and she just posted today on Twitter, I think I saw today, that she overheard some people talking about Star Trek and going to Comic-Con and how they were so excited about all the new shows and going to the panels. And she told them that she was (laughs) the president, right? That's what she was. Yes. And uh, they thought she was crazy and stepped away from her and ignored her. President of the Federation, yes. United Federation of Planets. Yes, well, yeah. as opposed to the president of Earth. But yes, she uh, they just, I guess, edged away nervously. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. One of the interesting shots in the trailer is of this building blowing up. And there's a statue in front of it. And people thought it was a museum on Earth. And he said, no, it's not on Earth. It's not a museum. It's some old building on an old planet, whatever that means. There's a lot of speculation about the statue because it kind of looks like Janeway, but I don't think it is Janeway. Yeah, I thought he ruled. He may have ruled that out, too. But it looks like a female and kind of standing in a Janeway-like pose. Maybe it's our female villain. I I think it's Rachel Garrett. Oh. It's got to be someone who's dead who died heroically she deserved the statue yeah and janeway is probably not dead no but you wouldn't want to establish that to keep their options open uh, to use her again obviously so you know we know that this season is just going to be wall-to-wall references so that that makes sense it'll be packed in like an episode of lower decks he wants to release the soundtrack for season three ahead of season three yeah he seems confident that's going to happen that's unusual but an interesting choice i think it would be kind of cool yeah i mean look it's not a spoiler it's you know like well i well, guess it depends the on the uh, the, ti- the track titles, titles. Track <laughs> you know titles. if there is a track titled seven dies you know that's right. gonna be a problem but they wouldn't do that um <laughs> but i've seen like people try to work out from soundtrack because like a movie soundtrack sometimes get announced and they're so michael Giacchino kind of did a little bit of that he has his punny uh, track titles and people were trying to suss out what this means you know for right. track seven he also mentioned he makes a little cameo and his reference was <laughs> harv bennett as the admiral in star trek five which won't be his first cameo of course no um cool. in star trek so uh but yeah why not put yourself sure. in the picture what yeah i would do it <laughs> yeah. he's also teased a lot that we're going to learn a lot on Saturday at Comic-Con, which we're going to talk about more later. So speaking of Picard, we've got some merchandise to talk about. So the set for Star Trek Picard Season 2 is out, Blu-ray and DVD. We have a full review on the site written by Matt Wright, who's really good at this and gets into all the details. We also have an exclusive deleted scene that you can come and watch. 
And we are giving away two copies of Star Trek Picard Season 2. And if you want one of them, and you want to be entered into a drawing to get one, you have to go to the page on Trek Movie, the post for this podcast for this episode. You have to leave a comment about this podcast, and you have to use the word engage. Which makes sense, obviously, for Picard. Yes. Now, um, we did a giveaway earlier in the week when we had the exclusive scene. So this is a, we have, t- we got a total of four copies. So we've already given away two copies. So these are two copies just for you, our loyal podcast listeners. The only other thing this week for Picard um, is that uh, the second issue of the three issue Stargazer com- came out. So check out the preview on the site. Um, that comic book series from IDW takes place between seasons two and three. And it's written by Mike Johnson and Kirsten Beyer. An yes. Duo. And there's some connections to the audio drama in there. Actually. Oh, cool. So it's a, there's, they're building a little universe of their own. So we've got a little William Shatner news. Because um, <laughs> he, he just keeps going. Yeah. So he, at 91, he's got a new book out this week called <laughs> Boldly Go, Reflections on a Life of Awe and Wonder, which is a collection of essays. He's getting even more reflective in his ninth decade, or I guess his tenth decade. Yeah. He's done some press on this. We did an article about this because he's talking about Nimoy passing away and kind of how things were difficult at the end. He couldn't get in touch with Leonard and Leonard wouldn't respond. And he's still devastated by all this. So. It's worth watching this video he did with Entertainment Tonight. And you're going to review the book. I'm so excited. Like, I am all in for William Shatner's reflections on life. I find him to be a fascinating and articulate man. I always look forward to see what he has to say. And, and you know, one of the things I know he talks about in this is death, which I know is something he's talked about before. And he, you know, years ago would talk about how afraid he was. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts about uh, funerals and death. And apparently he wrote a song about his funeral arrangements, which I'm looking forward to reading about. <laughs> so let's talk a little lower decks, but there's some stuff to cover before we get to the episode, right? Yeah. Well, because last week was such a big week because they visited deep space nine and because they had deep space nine cast on it. So there've been a lot of uh, interviews going around with Armin Shimmerman and Nana visitor. So they were both guests on the Seventh Rule podcast, which is, you know, Sirach Lofton, who was Jake Sisko, is one of the hosts with Ryan T. Husk. And they he had them both on to talk about it, which was great. I always love those kinds of interviews because when it's when it's with a co-star, someone that they know, it's just a much more relaxed conversation. Yeah, they're um, all f- old friends. Yeah, they're all old friends. I mean, he was a kid when they were filming, but still they have this long-standing relationship. And they did clear up something that, you know, we talked about last week on the podcast. I said that I thought he sounded Armin sounded like he didn't have his quark teeth in, and then we saw he posted on Twitter that in fact he did have them in, but now he really cleared it up because they had a conversation about it and he said that when he watched the show, Armin watched it. He thought that he sounded like he didn't have the teeth in, but he remembered having the teeth in. Mm. Yeah, so uh... the bottom line, he he sort of unraveled it while they were talking about it, which was pretty interesting. And he said that when the last time he had to really get in his full getup, he needed a new set of teeth because your teeth change over the years. So he couldn't use the old ones. And so his niece, who's like a makeup artist and a, 
I guess a prosthetics person, made him a set of teeth, which he used. So he's thinking maybe they just don't sound quite the same as the old one. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, it's worth watching the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed the whole episode. I highly recommend it. As she said in my interview with her, but even more enthusiastically, Nana seems ready to do live action um, if she hasn't already. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, whereas Armin still is somewhat more skeptical, but certainly open to it, I guess. Yeah, he he said um, if it was non-animated, then he wouldn't want to be a series regular because he just he said, I'm an old man. He said, and I get it. That was pretty intense makeup. So I feel like if it was animated, I feel like he'd be up for anything because he really enjoyed himself. They both did. And they both loved the reverence given to their show on Lower Decks. And uh, if it was in person, so he'd, he'd be, I feel like you, you wouldn't have to rule out him showing up on one of the shows. This appreciation for how they were treated on Lower Decks was also evident in another video that came out. This was kind of an official Paramount Plus thing with them and the cast kind of both talking about what it was like. It was a funny thing that Armin said is he likes the premise of Lower Decks being that the focus is on these Lower Decks characters. And then he, he said he that's how he always thought of himself on Deep Space Nine, that he was, you know, envisioning the promenade as kind of the Lower Decks and he wasn't one of the Starfleet people. He was kind of one of the regular people, as it were. That was an interesting perspective. Yeah, I love that he thought of it that way, and it made total sense to me. There's also an interview out uh, with Mike McMahon. He talked to the um, Hollywood Reporter, most of which was like fairly generic. But when they asked him what kind of cameo or cameos he'd like to see on the show, he started throwing out some names like Spiner and LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden, George Decay. But then he brought up that he's a big fan of Star Trek Enterprise, which kind of surprised me. And that he's been trying to figure out a way to do something with the Enterprise characters and actors. And he really wants to work with them. Well, it's tough because of the time period. Yeah. I mean, what's funny is so, we, you know, when we put out this article, you know, the headline was he's trying to work out, you know, Enterprise. And it got this like huge response on there was a big thread about it on Reddit, a lot of stuff on Twitter and on Facebook. And, we're, you know, you see a lot of the same things. People are like, well, it's easy. You do holodeck. But a lot of people are like, yeah, but then, you know, maybe they could wrap Riker into it and maybe Boimler and Riker, you know, because maybe Riker still likes to go check out the Enterprise and maybe they could redo Which the they, finale again. They had that in a Lower Decks episode, right? Like, it doesn't he say, oh, I was just watching the Enterprise guys or whatever. <laughs> right. Comes back from doing it again. Like, it's a regular thing that he does. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, obviously time travel. I think maybe, you know, the mechanism may not, it may be what's the character, what are the character beats and how does it fit into their show, you know? Yeah, when he says he's struggling with it, it's, he's he's not struggling with, oh, I can't think of any way to make it happen. But it has to make sense within what they want to do and the stories they want to tell. Yeah, it sounds like it won't happen. Well, it's not going to happen this season and it probably won't happen in season four because they're essentially done writing it and they haven't even been picked up for a fifth season. So this may all be moot, but if it were to happen, it would be a season five thing. My favorite suggestion, and we retweeted someone who created a graphic of this, was to have them essentially make it so that Boimler is future guy. 
and there's someone who created a future guy Boimler mashup image. And we posted that and Terry Metalis jumped in and said he thought it was a great idea. <laughs> so, and didn't he tag Mike on it? Yeah, he tagged. Everyone yeah. was tagging Mike. It's it's fun to speculate, but uh, it, it I think especially, you know, after three or four seasons, it'll make sense for them to start moving beyond a lot of TNG stuff. You know, they've done a bit of TOS stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, they're building up enough of their own canon, so they're starting to reference themselves. And they can start referencing Discovery stuff. There's been very little, almost no Discovery connections with the show. It, it's tricky, except that all the showrunners are talking and they can find a way to do it that, you know, anything they want to say, they can check with Michelle Paradise and make sure that they're not going to say something that's then going to make no sense in another season. But you could throw a Kelpian in the scene. You don't have to yeah. bring in actually Doug Jones, you know, that kind of thing. There's one other thing Mike said that I thought was really fun. He was talking about the crossover that Lower Decks is doing with Strange New Worlds. And he was so happy that they let him punch up the script, which is very smart, by the way, because um, he's an excellent writer. And he was excited he got to write for Pike, Spock, and Uhura. And then he said that, uh, you know, that they've never had characters like the ones on Lower Decks showing up. Like he said... That he said, here's this good quote. I feel like the Enterprise crew is really good at figuring out and handling aliens, but they're completely flummoxed by how to deal with human beings like I created. <laughs> Tawny joked about when she was there that she kept on breaking things. I just feel like they're going to break the Enterprise. You know, they're just going to cause all sorts of trouble just by showing up. There's going to be some chaos and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the lower decks review a reminder this podcast goes out on friday on saturday is new york comic-con i'm actually not going to be there but we have someone who will be there we will be doing full coverage uh, there's going to be a star trek universe panel starts at four o'clock eastern time look at trekmovie.com we'll be posting anything that gets released i suspect there's going to be trailers prodigy and picard i bet they release something for discovery those are the three shows they're bringing to the show I'm hoping a clip. They should have a clip ready by now. Yeah, they won't do a trailer probably, but yeah, a clip is possible, at least an image. They're going to release something, you know, just because there could be news, you know, maybe they'll announce a new show. Who knows, you know? So this is one of those opportunities for news. So keep your eye out at trekmovie.com and our Twitter feed over the weekend. So let's move on to Lower Decks. To this crazy, crazy episode of Lower Decks. <laughs> this is the one that everyone said was weird and bananas, and they're absolutely correct. It is the strangest episode. Well, I mean, it, it, in a way, I feel like this is from their the way they think of this. This is this season's version of Wage Dooge. Do you remember last season they did? Yep. the? They're like, OK, how do we do something like that? But not that again. Let's do a whole episode where. It's not our characters and catch up with someone we haven't seen in a while. I think this is the all time weirdest episode of Star Trek that has ever existed. <laughs> Possibly. I went through lists. I went through my memory banks to, to remember other weird episodes and some of the weirdest things we've seen. And this still outdid all of them, including like the animated series when Kirk and Spock turned into underwater creatures. <laughs> so you're saying this is weirder than the alternative factor it's weirder than a deanna troy cake 
It's weirder than Sub Rosa. It's weirder than Threshold or Trip getting pregnant or a green space hand or Abraham Lincoln floating in space. It's or masks. It's just the weirdest episode I think I've ever seen of Star Trek. I mean, I don't disagree, but it's also a classic setup in that. Yes. And it's not just a Star Trek setup. I mean, we've seen this, you know, it's the dances with wolves setup, essentially, but uh, of the, you know, modern person with the primitive tribe thing. But, uh, you know, the Paradise Syndrome is the prime example. But other shows have done this in Star Trek as well. But what was actually what was very Star Trek about it? doesn't make it any less weird by the way was that there was more to that story because they had a history of being technologically advanced and had rejected it and and literally buried it yeah that was the kind of fun sci-fi plot the hidden sci-fi plot is that uh you know they weren't as primitive as we thought they were and also that everything could fly i mean there was a lot of good stuff in there so <laughs> so just Big question. Did you enjoy it? Well, it was hilarious. And therefore, yes. But, you know, the whole time I was watching it going, you know, where's where are our characters? What the hell's going on here? They changed the title sequence. I mean, they, they really were throwing us for a curveball. But yes, I I did very much enjoy it. It's so reliant on the cast, this one. So Kether Donahue returns as Peanut Hamper. We haven't even mentioned her yet, but I mean, this is the peanut hamper episode, which we all were told was coming. She was on the poster for the teaser poster and almost all the great lines are her. She's very funny and she carries this episode, although Harry Shum Jr., who some people know from Glee, he plays Rauda, who's kind of her straight man. And he's great just to be there, you know, for her to play off. He was like the Miramani. Of, the, of this right. episode. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was an entertaining, very funny half-hour comedy show. What's interesting is maybe the most controversial thing, the thing at the end, shows how this, the way we review this will be just as unorthodox as the episode itself. So we're jumping to the end. But you know, I went back and forth on the end because they set us up for... The redemption. The title itself is a is a mathematically perfect redemption. What's the title? Something yep. math. Yeah, yeah. So this was a redemption story for Peanut Hamper, and that was a wonderful Star Trek story about how she learned about connectiveness and teamwork, and you know that they kept on repeating the needs of the few, and they like how she learned her lesson and and wanted to return to her tribe. And then they, you know, they said, oh, no, psych, it was all BS and it was all a scam. But then I thought about it and it's like, th that shows that they are committed to the bit, right? Which is a thing that comedians, like, if you really want to do it, you got to commit to the bit. And the bit was, this is who she is. Yeah. And this, and she's funny because of that. And she's funnier when she's that way, when she's a duplicitous um, B word, right? And therefore, given a choice of, doing the lovely Star Trek redemption story, they're like, no, commit to the bit. It's funnier this way. It's a better comedy this way. Although it comes at a cost. One side note to that, I would say, is if she's the one that saved the day, they would be falling into a what is now a trope that people 
you know, looked down on, which is, although it doesn't really match here, but the white savior trope, right? Where she's the one that saves the day from the stupid primitive people. Well, except she's the one who set up the whole problem too. Yes, but Rauda saves the day that primitive people don't need to be saved. You know, the third world people don't need the people from the first world to tell them how to run their lives. You know, although we wanted her to be redeemed, perhaps that could have set up a rope, you know, instead of a white savior, it'd be a robot savior. Um, well, the the big reason I wanted her to be redeemed was only because Rauda wanted to come with her. And I really wanted him to join the group on Lower Decks and be, be on the Cerritos. So that was to me the, the biggest bummer about her not being redeemed was we lost him as a new crew member. Yeah, I, like there was a brief moment where I'm thinking, oh, wow, how far are they going to go with this? Um, and, you know, imagining <laughs> him in a Starfleet uniform. And oh, my God, the possibilities. His screeching, you know, and their weird sex stuff. <laughs> so. Oh, God. <laughs> Which this time, by the way, I thought they did right. Like, you know, I remember we were unhappy with the last time they got super explicit. Well, no, I didn't mind... So let's there. I guess there are two other big explicit moments in the history of the show, right? So there's the one that was just funny, which was Brad with his legs up, just fully exposed with that little thing blocking. Yeah. <laughs> and that I just thought was funny. But the Mugato jerking off, I didn't. I yeah. wasn't so mean. And just the two of them just pounding on the, it was just too much. But no, this was, this was great and perfect and kind of lovely in a way where, and, where Rout is. super gross. Oh, very gross. Um, <laughs> and I was a little worried when she started hovering down. I'm like, oh, God, how far are they going to go? Because I was thinking <laughs> they put this episode together before they knew how much people reacted to the Megato, although they could have changed it in post, obviously. No, and not everybody disliked that, too. So, yeah, still, um, I was happy that they went as far as they did and stopped. Exactly. I loved his feathers went up. I loved that. The whole thing, the the parts, everything. I just, I thought it was hilarious and funny and the right level of being crude and gross and icky. <laughs> I mean, there, you know, it was a classic rom-com setup. They meet each other, they hate each other, but they eventually fall in love. The question is, was Peanut Hamper ever in love with him? No, because she's nope. a narcissist. But she liked him. She was into him, I guess. I I think she was into him being the leader, the future leader. I think she genuinely was having fun, but also saw the opportunity to use him and to use these people. This is a kind of a... Because this episode, you got hints of one of the twists. The twist that there was technology because the leader... Um, knew about how she could power up and they talked about their ancestors. I, I kind of sensed that there was something going on with technology with these people that they knew more than they were saying because they kind of understood her more than they should. But it would have been fun to have seen the moment when she decided to betray them, when she figured out because she couldn't have done it until she saw the ships, right? When he revealed to her the secret chamber right. full of ships. And that's when she hatched her plan to say, oh, well, I could use the ships, call the bad guys and have the bad guys show up and then I could save the day. But there was no like as I watched it again and there's no even slight hint where you could say, oh, this is when she decided to betray them. Right. Which makes her more pathological. Right. Well, because when they first 
say <laughs> when they have a recording she goes that doesn't even sound like me <laughs> which is like every kid who's been caught pathetic excuse made up story <laughs> my favorite thing is that. when they so she like i mean you know she double crosses triple crosses quadruple cross you know because they she has yet another chance yeah there's a sweet moment where tendy says okay well now you've got another chance to redeem yourself and she's so excited when she says it tendy. and it would have been you know because it was a similar situation as the season one finale and she dopes out but then she comes back again to say oh i was just kidding you know I, I mean, it's just the brazenness, you know, and that was funny. It's worth it to lose the genuine redemption to get all the double crosses you get out of her. That we realize she's just a psychopath and deserves to be in the room full of psychopathic machines. Although not the wisest choice, putting all the psychopathic machines together to hatch plans and collaborate. Not when they can talk to each other. Yeah, unwise. <laughs> Although it makes me look forward to more Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> uh, yeah, you knew he was coming as soon as you saw the room. You're like, oh, yep. Jeffrey's back, which was fun. I imagine they are setting something up. Maybe not for next season, but you know they've, they've got plenty of time. They could get around to bringing this character back and Jeffrey Combs. Oh, for sure they're setting something up. When yeah. they break out and call the Borg or do something crazy. <laughs> I'm calling them right now. They're going to love me. <laughs> I love the name. The, the self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage. They have a name for it. Yes, of course. Because <laughs> it happens a lot. Yep. You know? I mean, the one thing, though, which is the, you know, we're talking about how much we enjoyed the episode. The other question is, is this a good episode of Lower Decks? Right. And so, and I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching, because first of all, we've been talking so much this season about how the stories are now very much about the characters, like now that we've established them and we know who they are. And we've been really enjoying that the humor is more character based. And so I was, I had that exact question because I felt like it was a very fun episode of a TV show. And I, I wasn't sure it was a very fun episode of Lower Decks. And it comes down to, for you, like, is, and I mean you, the greater, all the people, you, all the people listening. So is Lower Decks about tone and humor? Or is Lower Decks about the Cerritos and Boimler and Mariner and Tendi and Rutherford? It's a philosophical question. It's a question worthy of William Shatner's new book. Um, <laughs> it's, and I, I kind of go back and forth, but... I guess they're just going to do a weird thing every season, which isn't really about our people, you know, and doesn't continue their stories, these character stories. So no bold Boimler, no follow up on Rutherford's eyepiece. No, you know, is uh, uh, Mariner well, they didn't do anything. I mean, they really they, they did almost nothing because, again, they wanted the primitive people, Rauda. He's the hero of the story. He becomes the leader of the village. He's the one who decides to use technology at the end and to reintroduce technology to his people. In a funny way, this episode is at least true to the mission of the Cerritos because essentially, even though in the past this culture had contact, none of these people really had any contact. So first contact was made by peanut hamper and the Cerritos people made <laughs> second contact. True. Right? Like 
it's so easy to keep going back and forth on the issue of is it a great lower decks episode is it a lower decks episode which it is i mean it is because it is but i went back and forth a little because there were times that i felt a little bit ripped off that i love lower decks and so now we're going to get one less episode one fewer episode with the crew and the people that i love but you're right there's so many elements that are very star trek and very lower decks at the same time I mean, if we had 20 something episodes a season, you you wouldn't bat an eye over a weird. Right. No, but like masks is just a total wackadoo, whatever right. episode. But and with it's... 10 episodes, you start counting each one. And right. this is like, you know, you and I went through this essentially the same conversation with the Elysian Kingdom in the middle of the first season of Strange New Worlds. We're like, oh, well, this is fun and weird and crazy. And the cast had a lot of fun. And Christina got to use her dog and all that kind of stuff. But we learned nothing about these characters because everyone forgot what they did at the end. It really didn't carry any of their stories on, really, except for the Doctor a little bit. Right, and there wasn't much reflection. It wasn't like they remembered who they'd been so that they could think about being that other person. Right. There was definitely like a missed opportunity there. And I get it that, you know, the episode, they're just trying to get as much as they can in there. But I do think it would have been really interesting to see La'an looking... Being like that, I did. I was that, right. you know, because it's such a contrast to who she is. And and I was wondering, like, you know, could they have bookended this episode with our characters? But they, it was such a deliberate choice not to. Like again, when I was looking at the history of other episodes that took place, you know, there's there's a Voyager episode where we don't see the Voyager crew until the second act. So um, distant origin, but there are, you know, a few every once in a while, the first contact they tried to tell from a different, I mean, the episode of Next Generation, they tried to tell from a different point of view, but they always, they always anchor our characters. And this was a very deliberate choice not to do that. And Peanut Hamper was the only connection. Yeah. And, you know, I thought like, oh, well, you know, if you are going to do an episode where you bring back a random character. You know, I thought, well, you could do an episode with Talin from the Three Ships right. episode. But then I thought, you know what? It it might have been a character we want an update more from because we like her more. But it wouldn't have been as funny. You know, there could you, it'll be a lot of dry wit, but right. a whole episode of that. Whereas, you know, this was I mean, she was so broad and just hilarious. You know, this, this was, was a, laugh out loud funny over and over. Yeah, I mean, just all the great lines she had. And you just, you're not going to get that from Talyn. It'll be all subtle looks and cutting remarks, perhaps. But, uh, you know, that's not going to really carry a whole episode. So here's what it made me think of. I was thinking what I want Mike McMahon to do is I want him, I want his next Star Trek show. Here's my pitch. I want his next show to be a Star Trek anthology series animated in the same style as lower decks but the only connective tissue is that each episode features one or a character or a place from anywhere in star trek canon i think that's a great idea it reminds me of a show i really like on netflix an animated series called love death and robots oh there's we got some big fans of that show in my household each episode is a different style a different length and the only connective thing is it either has to do with love, death, or robots. 
So this I would anchor a little more. I would keep the style consistent because I think it's it's a it's hard to do, and I and I appreciate that, and I enjoy the style, the visual style of lower decks. So I go, you know what? Keep that. It's very suited to Star Trek, and because your connective tissue is going to be stronger than that, because it is going to be something from canon, from any yeah. of the shows. I just I feel like Mike could have a field day with that, and. Animated shows are expensive and, you know, like there is a reason why they redo characters and characters wear the same outfits. If you're if you have entirely right. new characters and new sets, maybe not the same as building new physical sets every week, but it's still a lot of time and work. And, you know, I mean, sometimes more expensive, depending on how yeah. you do it. I mean, yep. maybe you could do an anthology thing where it's a different thing every season, you know, kind of like American Horror Story. Brian Fuller's original pitch for Discovery was that, but we're getting into the weeds of how do you do an anthology show. I, but I, I very much am on board for the idea of an anthology show. And I think he's the guy, he'd be such a great choice to be the person to do it because he has knowledge of the whole franchise and a love of it and a reverence for it, but also doesn't take it too seriously. And I just he and he's so creative and he obviously hires a lot of great creative writers and people. And would this have been even funnier if there was less of our lower deck? Because there's definitely not enough of them. But would it have been funnier if there was like almost none, you know, where they just show up for like the last minute? Maybe that's even funnier, you know, that they're barely in it Uh, because they do show up. Basically, the third act is they're there. And J.G. Hertzler's back as the right. e- evil scavenger. And uh, so there's a bit of an environmental story because he's, you know, strip mining. I did love the bit at the beginning when she's building her little spaceship and she's creates kind of a Sophia, right? Her yes. like, friend. And she's like friends for life. And then when J.G. Hertzler, the Drukmani Druk- show up, she's like, <laughs> you know, immediately betrays she- her. She flings her like one minute after saying like, we're going to be together forever. She just flings her into the thing. (laughs) Gives, gives her up in a, in a hot second, which again sets us up to exactly what she's going to do. Cause that's, she tells Sophia that she, she says, you're my friend for life or something like that. And then boom, just, just that's it. Only room for one. Off she goes. I need to check with some science nerds on because she said her her little junk ship could go 0.02 warp, which is not warp. You know, warp is warp one is the speed of light, I thought. So 0.02 warp would barely be anything. I mean, it'd be fast, but you're not going to get to another planetary system. So how fast was she actually going? How far did they go? Yeah, that's a great Um, question to ask. My bet is. She went much faster than she thought she was going to go because she's just an ensign, <laughs> you know. She she built this thing out of scrap, right? So, but it was nice to get JG Hertzler back, and he was funny. The best line was when he just dryly said, "We of course recorded it." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there really wasn't a knock on the show is that it it's too reliant on Easter eggs, etc. Right, and everyone loves last week's episode, but last week's episode was a nostalgia fest. This season, they've been good at balancing that. It'll be interesting to see how people react because this episode is essentially devoid of Easter eggs. Well, there is one mention of something. Right. But the Aurelians were mentioned, yes. Um, yes. which she called them the poor man's 
Aurelians. You're like the poor man's Aurelians. <laughs> you know, but there really weren't any visual gags. I mean, the Jerkmani were a callback to, but they, you know, they they're actually a lower decks race. Yeah, so that that's not that doesn't count. I thought that they, you know, I thought it's possible that the I I, I forget what they're the bird people. <laughs> they were called the Arians, right? Or Oriolans. Ar- or Ariors. <laughs> something. I don't know. Boimler was having issues too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe they were going to be something that we knew, like there was going to be some connection or that, you know, I I knew that there was something more to them, but no, that, you know, they decided we're not really going for any Easter eggs in this episode. You know, Agamus is their own character. The Jerkmani were their own character. She's their own character. She mentioned free cloud. You know, but that's, you know, she said she wanted to be a Dabo girl on Free Cloud. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that counts. I guess Sophia was a, 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 an Easter egg for Castaway, right? Yeah. I mean, I haven't even seen Castaway and I got that re- reference immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Interestingly, I went back to rewatch the original Next Generation episode with the Exocomps. Just oh. to sort of refresh myself on them. And, you know, the whole issue that came up about whether they were sentient whether they were alive which was data's big project was because they exhibited self-preservation so that was their driving characteristic that raised the question and then at the very end of the episode there are three of them and one of them sacrifices itself for the other two but the big issue was that it was saving itself that it sabotaged itself so that it wouldn't be in a dangerous situation definitely Peanut Hamper does not have the neural pathway for understanding the needs of the many. Right. Um, she... But does have a dad that she wants to piss off. <laughs> yes. Um, she definitely has dad issues. Uh, now, how that exactly works, how they, rep, you yeah. know, how do they reproduce? <laughs> and have um, families? I had questions about that as well. Right. Like, does she have a mom? Um, <laughs> how does she even have a gender? Right. Uh, so, I mean, and she has to to be a you know to be a member of the crew, which she was initially. Then her species has to be recognized as sentient and all of that. So, yeah, lots of lots of questions there. But I mean, the the, the humor prevailed, of course. So you know, it's not my favorite episode of the season, but I liked it. Um, I was entertained by it. It's thought provoking and it's fun. Can I tell you my favorite little dialogue exchange? Sure. Then the whole thing. And there were many good ones. I like the whole thing about the sky snakes and why don't you just call it a snake if everything <laughs> flies and all of that. But my number one favorite exchange <laughs> was the bird that says, my fecal matter is back to being oily and white. And she <laughs> says, great, but also gross. <laughs> Which is true, certainly. That made me laugh so hard. Like, I just, I watched it several times and I laughed every single time. There was another scatological joke when she leaves for the last time and she says, smell you later. And I mean that literally, because you all... Because you all shit everywhere. That's what she says, smell you later. And I mean that literally, because you all shit everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this episode was crude at times. For sure. It was my kind of crude. It was just the kind of crude that makes me laugh. 
one thing that I'm they set something up because you had Rauda and he had a girlfriend and then Peanut Hamper. I thought there was going to be more to that story because Peanut Hamper kind of. Yeah, she's like, keep your pants on or something like that because she, you know, sensed the feathers going up, I guess, in jealousy. I thought we were going to get a little bird on robot violence there, you know. A, some... a little, you know, Paradise Syndrome rivalry. I mean, it yeah. was so close to that episode in so many ways. And in fact, so the one of the stats about that episode is because it takes Kirk is missing for months. And so they save all the original series episodes that takes place over the longest period of time. But this one, you, we saw the seasons change. So this may be the episode with the longest time period within one episode. I, I don't know why I like this line, but I there was some random bird person who when they were kind of confused about what she was and he screams out. I say we cut her open and release the tiny witch that runs it. <laughs> Not everyone was in on the big secret, obviously. Of, <laughs> of the, 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 all the technology underneath the... Um... Now, why does the father and the son who know about the technology, were they amazed by the fact that she used technology? Like, the father was... You know, the village leader was ready to die presumably anti-venom he understood he would know that that technology exists right i don't know i think it was i mean we knew that it was something it was knowledge that they had buried and tried to forget um and they knew about ships but they didn't seem to know about replicators or or advanced technology like that maybe everyone including their father knew about the warnings of technology from their ancestors but route is the only one who actually went in there and learned how to use it. Right, because he said he would go and hide to get away from his dad and whatever. Which is why maybe he wasn't so impressed with her little tricks to start off with. Right. Although he was impressed when she made all the hatchlings hatch. Right, which I was thinking, like, I, of course, started thinking about the natural order of things and how many probably are supposed to hatch, and now they were going to maybe have an overpopulation problem. <laughs> you, you were overthinking it but i was uh, that, definitely that... <laughs> overthinking that scene <laughs> all right have we covered everything from this wackadoo episode uh yeah that's basically it i i usually have a sense of how fans are going to react i'm kind of unsure <laughs> on this yeah. one i think some people are gonna hate it but i think most people will like it I think so i think it was i mean you know you and i we both what the after a first viewing you're like i I don't know how I feel about it. It was a confusing thing because again, it's it's the confusion was all about trying to fit it into the show that we felt like we had a handle on. And yes. maybe the message is you don't have a handle on it and it can go anywhere. Exactly. And that's okay. Being yeah. different is okay. <laughs> <laughs> infinite diversity in infinite combinations. The last episode was all about being yourself, right? That's Teddy's big lesson. Well, Peanut Hamper was being herself. Well, not really, but eventually. <laughs> well, she found out that when she revealed her true self, that she was a psychopathic computer willing to kill everyone and pony up with the Borg, that was a problem. Yeah. Maybe not everyone should be themselves, I guess. The message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or some people who are themselves should be locked up. Yes. So let's wrap things up with our bits of the week. Why don't you start? Well, I've got another nicer Leonard Nimoy story. Or not, maybe not nicer, but kind of an interesting factoid I was not aware of. And it's a connection to another sci-fi franchise. 
which is the Doctor Who franchise, which we almost never talk about. We all know that there's a do- been a Doctor Who show been going on for about two decades. It's been popular. But Doctor Who started in the 60s like Star Trek and ended in the 80s. And there was a kind of a long period where there was essentially no Doctor Who. But there was one moment in the mid-90s, a Doctor Who movie, which was a co-production with Fox and the BBC. And it turns out that Leonard Nimoy was in talks to direct this movie. And the producer wanted Nimoy and they were well. And this is, you know, he Nimoy was still directing into the 90s. Uh, You know, he had his biggest hits in the 80s, but he was still a film director in the 90s. And even though this was a TV movie, it was going to be backdoor pilot and they were pretty far down the road. And then the people at Fox felt that it would have been the itch to bring in Nimoy. And so they rejected the idea. But then they said, but we'll let him do it if he plays the master. And to, you know, for non Doctor Who fans, the master is essentially the Darth Vader, the Khan of. Doctor Who, the Doctor's biggest nemesis. So they thought it would be kitsch to have Spock direct our movie, but then they wanted Spock to be to play the ultimate bad guy, which was eventually played by Eric Roberts of all people. But that would have been kitsch. That's where that, it would have been exactly kitsch. that yeah. would have been. You know, so it's uh, anyway, just in, an interesting, almost Doctor Who Star Trek connection. Yeah. What's your bit of the week? So mine is just a funny, weird thing, which is when I came back from Vegas, I got a present from my two sisters, which is that they got me the USS Enterprise tree topper. It's part of the whole um, Mirror Universe set, but it's just the actual ship itself. There's actually a great review of it that Christine did up on our site of the whole set. But so they bought it for me for Christmas, like to use at Christmas, but they just saw they wanted me to have it. And I didn't want to wait till Christmas because it was August. So here is my tip for all of you who might own this or are thinking about getting it. I have plugged it in. I've put it on the top of a bookshelf. And the outlet where it's plugged in happens to be connected to the light switch in my office. So first of all, every time I turn on the light in my office, it makes a sound. (laughs) It turns on and it makes a sound. And I have the remote control at my desk. And year round... I am now enjoying looking at and listening to the Enterprise. I'm going to play it now. Let's see if the mic picks it up. That's great. This is the original series Enterprise. Yes. And then it starts to play the theme, I think, which, yeah, there we go. But I sit. This thing has lights as well, right? It has lights. It changes color. It's a gorgeous ship. I mean, it looks beautiful. And it fills my day with joy. Like I'm sitting here, I work in my office all day because I work from home. I look up all the time and there's this beautifully lit up enterprise. Every time I turn on the light, it reminds me that it's here with the sound to the dismay of my family, which makes it even funnier. And then I have the remote like right at my fingertips whenever I just want a little Star Trek boost. So that's my recommendation. Don't wait till Christmas. You can have this as part of your year round decor. Those Hallmark decorations, uh, you know, they do a really good job for, especially for what they cost. They do. No, they do. This is, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful piece of work, which is why I couldn't, once I took it out of the box and put batteries in just to see how it worked, I couldn't put it back. It was too beautiful to go live in a box for 11 months out of the year. I I think they're called the storyteller. 
Yes. And actually what you what you have is part of a larger thing where you you could literally connect the ship to all these various pieces, all of which talk and tell stories. And all of all of them are displayable. You could just put them on a table. So they are built to be displayed year round, not just in a tree or on a tree. And Kevin Dilmore was the one who wrote I think all the he wrote the story that pulls it all together, like wrote all the dialogue. Yeah, he works for Hallmark. He's great. And he's a delightful human being also. I mean, he was happy that I posted about how how much I love it because he put so much work into it. But it is it really just gives me a ridiculous amount of pleasure. And my sisters who teamed up to get it for me because they saw it somewhere, they're so happy that I'm enjoying it this much. <laughs> Well, so thank you all for listening to another episode of the All Access Star Trek podcast. Come back next Friday for a couple big things happening. We're going to do our New York Comic Con recap. And next week is kind of the big movie episode where they release the clip on Star Trek Day. So it's going to be another big episode of Lower Decks. And in the meantime, don't forget to come to our post. Tell us what you think of the podcast. And if you want to win that Star Trek Picard Season 2 set, then use the word engage in your comments. By the way, and I hate to say this because I, I know we have international listeners, but uh, this is a CBS thing. It's uh, USA only. So oh, yeah. Sorry. Asterix USA only, but not our fault. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies. Apologies. All right. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>